My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Roger Emsley. At the moment, the kind of environmental organizing that's getting the most attention is, quite understandably, work that is directly connected to threats of a planetary scale, work that is about climate change, tar sands, pipelines, fracking, and so on. Yet local struggles in the context of local issues continue to be a crucial way in which people's concern for the earth gets expressed. And one form that takes is opposition to local development projects, projects that are often about making a buck whatever the impact on local ecosystems and communities. Roger Emsley is the executive director of Against Port Expansion, a community group in Delta, British Columbia, that initially came together more than a decade ago in a vigorous but ultimately unsuccessful bid to oppose the expansion of Port Metro Vancouver's facilities in their community. They've known all along that further expansions, with all the ecosystem destruction and increased pollution they entail, were in the works, and they are now fighting hard against a project by the port to once again significantly expand their facilities and expand the amount of cargo they can handle. Emsley talks about the history of their group, the dangers of the port's current plan, and their present struggle for the environment and for their community. I spoke with him via Skype to phone from Delta, B.C. My name is Roger Emsley, and I'm executive director of the Against Port Expansion Community Group, which is based in Delta, British Columbia. I'm a long-term resident of Delta, British Columbia, involved in a number of community activities and have been with this group since it was formed back in the early 2000s. The group was formed specifically because Port Metro Vancouver had built a container port and a coal port out in Roberts Bank on the ocean shore in our community and a number of us were concerned about the impact on the environment and our community of that port. Since that time, coming forward to the present, we have had a growing list of supporters because Port Metro Vancouver continues to focus on Delta as being an area where they are continuing to expand. And our current activity, which is just now starting, is fighting Port Metro Vancouver to stop them doubling size of the container port that currently exists. And that opposition is based on the impact on the environment, the impact on people in this community in any number of areas. Delta, as a municipality, numbers just over 100,000 people. It's broken up into three distinct communities. North Delta numbers about 50,000 people and is somewhat separate from the other two communities, which are Tawasson and Ladner. And both Tawasson and Ladner are right on the ocean. 
Ladner and its surroundings is a farming and fishing community. Tuwasan mainly now is a residential community. And each of Ladner and Tuwasan has about 25,000 each in terms of population. The port sits in Georgia Strait, the uh, large strait in between the British Columbia mainland and Vancouver Island. So it's the waterway that is used extensively by commercial and pleasure vessels, commercial in particular going into Vancouver Harbour, which is a thriving port. The first development off to us and out in Georgia Strait was the BC Ferry Terminal, which has been there for maybe 25, 30 years now, maybe even more. The port first developed a port which is adjacent to the BC Ferry Causeway out in Georgia Strait. They first developed that port back in the um, mid-1970s. It started as a bulk handling facility, a coal port, and then they later started to expand it and put in a two-berth container port. Now, why did they locate it out there? They located it out there primarily because they saw it as an area that could be easily built on and accessible straight into Georgia Strait rather than having to go into the inner harbor. The fact of the matter is that they built that first two-birth facility out in an area that is a hugely important ecosystem. Roberts Bank is recognized both in Canada and internationally as being one of the most important environmental and ecosystems on the whole west coast of North America. It sits right on the Pacific Flyway for migratory birds. It sits right at the mouth of the Fraser River and therefore is important for salmon. There is an orca whale population. Um, orcas are recognized as being a species at risk. It's also rich in crabs and other species, so it's a hugely important ecosystem. Despite that, they got the permission to put in the first two birds. Then in the late 1990s and starting into 2000, they decided they wanted to add a third birth to the existing Delta Port two-birth facility, and that's when our group formed, and we formed for several reasons. We were already starting to see the traffic impacts, both road and rail, impacting the community and causing difficulties in moving around the community. Equally, we also were starting to get exposed to noise pollution, air pollution, and light pollution as the port grew, partly because of the reaction from the community. At the time, the federal government decided it would at least do a full study on the expansion of the third birth. And our group, Against Port Expansion, and a number of other groups participated heavily in that study, reviewing the materials that were carried out as part of the assessment and putting our comments in. We were trying to stop the third birth going ahead but we also recognized even back at that time that the larger game plan of Port Metro Vancouver was going to be continuing to expand the terminal and to make it a major hub. It has always been suspicion, and that suspicion is still there, that Port Metro Vancouver's hidden agenda was to close some of their other container terminals which sit on very valuable land which could be sold off for 
condominiums or other developments in the inner harbour and move all of the container traffic out to Roberts Bank. Therefore, it has always been in our mind that we were really fighting even back in uh, early 2000 for this large expansion. Tell me a little bit about what you remember about how members of the community first came together in the late 90s, early 2000s. The group came together with a number of public meetings which were being held at that time by the port themselves. And so as we went to these consultation meetings and open houses, um, we realized that there were a number of people who were strongly opposed to what was going on at the port. And so that group coalesced into the Against Port Expansion Community Group. And there are also a number of other key groups out here, community groups. We decided as a small group of us that we would form the Against Port Expansion Community Group. We put together a small executive steering committee, and then we set about organizing public meetings in the community. And we got money from some donations and, and other sources, and so we're able to put on these public meetings, brought in various people to do presentations. And because people were starting to understand uh, what was going on out on Roberts Bank, we got excellent turnout to all of the meetings, and that in itself garnered us more supporters. Um, we developed a website and developed a, a list of supporters and got donations, and the group grew from there. Tell me a bit about your group's experience of participating in the environmental assessment process. For the moment, I'm thinking about the one that happened uh, with the previous expansion. It is bureaucratic. It is alienating. And I think the key issue is that whilst the port can afford to hire and pay for experts and consultants and to put out masses of documentation around the assessment, groups such as ours are relying on volunteer effort and volunteer hours and thinking back to what we went through when they decided to add a berth to the two-berth Delta Port facility, we spent hundreds of hours, thousands of hours, in studying the documents and putting in our responses. It's a bureaucratic process. You've got to know the uh, legislation, know where the touch points are. That in itself requires expertise which a number of us, particularly the small executive group, have developed over the years. We did get some assistance from some of the people attending universities or technical colleges in the area. We're fortunate to have in the area biologists, naturalists, and, and birders who are very familiar with the environment, people who've got both the training background and experience in these areas, and they pitched in and provided their help. We also sought and got access to the key federal regulatory bodies. We asked for meetings with them on an ongoing basis, and they provided us with meeting time and met with us. And so we were prepared to ask a number of questions of them. By doing that, our expertise and experience grew in terms of the process and the issues. I think we did a credible job in terms of this third birth expansion, but we came out of that process still with it being approved 
to go ahead and with any number of unanswered questions. But as a result, we got a fair amount of attention and we did get some things done. For example, I think it was because of our pushing that we got an air monitoring station out here in Tawasson, which to that point we didn't have. The issue we're facing now, however, is that, as probably we all know, the Harper government decimated the environmental assessment regulations last year. It is now much more difficult, much more uncertain as to what kind of assessment Terminal 2 will get as a project. We had understood, and I'd actually been told pretty well by Port Metro Vancouver, that their T2 expansion would get the highest level of assessment, which is an independent panel review. That was our expectation until the Harper government took an axe to the federal environmental assessment legislation. The ability to get a panel review is still there, but it looks to be much more difficult to actually get them to do that. And our real fear at the moment is that Ottawa will decide, no, this is in the national interest, as Mr. Harper is prone to say on a regular basis, and therefore we won't do any kind of a review at all. Uh, they'll just have the permission to go ahead and do it. That is a real fear. The Canadian Environmental Assessment Agency, all they will do is make a recommendation to the minister in, in Ottawa, and it's his final decision as to whether one gets panel review. That used not to be the case. The CEAA um, would actually make that decision. And what they're going to do, they want to build a man-made island out in Georgia Strait, which will be more than a third the size of Stanley Park, so it's huge, and it will have a tremendous impact on the environment. It could well destroy, or if not destroy, there will be population-level declines in the migratory shorebirds. The western sandpiper in particular uses this exact same area as a stopping-off point on the Pacific Flyway in both its northward migration and its southward migration. And it is our belief, and not just ours, but others in Environment Canada, for example, that believe this could well cause population-level declines in the western sandpiper and maybe even their elimination. And it's not just the western sandpipers. This is a major feeding and breeding area for millions of shorebirds, and all of this is put under threat. Not only that, but in the past, before they were muzzled, Department of Fisheries and Ocean staff have repeatedly stated that they would not approve a port expansion in the area that Port Metro Vancouver now plans to build it. They had said too much risk to the salmon and to the other uh, waterbound species and that they would not approve that request. But of course, DFO, like other agencies, their staff have been slashed and they've been muzzled. And so you can no longer get them to even give you an opinion because those that are left are scared for their jobs. So was there a period where the group was less active or latent in between the third birth expansion and the current attempt to expand? Or have there always been things that the group has had to respond to throughout that period? The group continued to respond primarily because once the third birth was added, the community started to see the impacts that we had always said would take place. They started to see these actually happening. They started to see the truck traffic increases, the increase in rail. And whilst we were not 
as active in terms of having to deal with voluminous environmental assessment reports. We were still keeping people current on what was going on, still raising issues with Environment Canada, with DFO, with the Canadian Wildlife Service. We continued to monitor what was going on in the area immediately adjacent to Delta Port and had some concerns and still have concerns about the impact on the area between the two causeways, between the Port Causeway and the Ferry Causeway, which because of the way that the Port built the causeway out into the strait, they didn't put culverts underneath the causeway and that therefore prevented ocean flashing as tide went in and out. And therefore, it changed the whole nature of this intercourseway area. And we had a concern at one stage that there was an algae bloom out there. Fortunately, it dissipated, but it looked for a period of time as though this whole area would die. That hasn't come to pass, but because of the way the causeway uh, interacts with the area, there are constant channels developing and changing, and this is causing damage to what little of the environment is left out there. So, yeah, we slowed down, but we still kept things going. And then things started to heat up again. Probably we first got wind about 18 months ago that this thing was starting to heat up again. Because what happened when Port Metro Vancouver was trying to get its third birth project approved, originally, Terminal 2 was included in that. One of the things that has to be done in this kind of assessment is what's called a cumulative impact assessment. So looking at all of the impacts cumulatively that will take place. And of course, what the port realized is that if T2 was included along with the third birth, then indeed there would be a significant cumulative impact and that they risked having the whole thing turned down. And so they managed to get Terminal 2 pulled from the assessment and withdrawn as a project, despite the fact they knew full well that it was going on. They were successful in getting it to remove, which is one of the reasons we think that the third birth got the approval, because you were no longer looking at a full cumulative uh, impact analysis. But we also knew that they never stopped working on T2. They were... uh, quietly proceeding and so it was no surprise to us when this surfaced again and indeed we continued to be monitoring and and watching what they were doing. In the last couple of months Port Metro Vancouver has put in their formal request to the Canadian Environmental Assessment Agency to go ahead with an expansion which will double the current capacity of the container port Currently, Delta Port can handle in the order of over 2 million containers a year, and they want to more than double that to somewhere around 4.5 to 5 million. This community and many other communities south of the Fraser are faced with all of the problems that that brings. Delta Port today, there are 3,500-plus truck trips per day to and from Delta Port, and all of these end up onto community roads and onto uh, highways leading into Vancouver. And there is a huge bottleneck at the tunnel that goes under the Fraser River, and about 70% of those trucks currently do head into Vancouver and use the Massey Tunnel. And they cause traffic gridlock in the morning and afternoon rush hours and increasingly through the day. 
In addition to that, we have got 12,000-foot-plus container trains going to and from the port. These are expanding. These are causing problems at uh, grade crossings up the valley. And then in addition to that, you've got all the air pollution from the diesel uh, that the trucks use, that the trains use, and that the ships use. Uh, you've got the noise pollution, which comes partly from the uh, trucks, but also very much from the handling facilities out on the port itself and the ships which run their generators while they're in dock. And then at night, you've got the light pollution. We used to have fairly dark skies at night. Now the sky is lit up all the way from Delta into Vancouver and all the way across to the Gulf Islands by the uh, lights that are used at the port facility. So take all of that, the impacts on the community, the impacts on the environment, and many people in this community believe that enough is enough and that Delta, South Delta in particular, Ladner and Tawasson, are at the tipping point and simply cannot take any further expansion. Port Metro Vancouver, they are required under the new legislation to carry out some consultation. That's part of the process that is required. Because they've had to submit a project description to the Canadian Environmental Assessment Agency, what is necessary is some form of public consultation on that. We haven't talked about the provincial involvement in this, but there is also a provincial involvement. Regrettably, province of British Columbia decided to harmonize its environmental assessment processes with the federal process. We had hoped that they would pull out from that, but they haven't. And so we are dealing with a harmonized process. But that said, BC's Environmental Assessment Office is also starting to get involved. They will be carrying out their own analyses, although they will work closely with the feds. We will also be making representations to them. We took a delegation over to Victoria concerning the third birth process, and we are taking a delegation over in the next little while. See, one of the things that we've worked on and, and that we've realized is that the business case for this Terminal 2 development simply isn't there. They have enough current capacity there is enough current capacity on the West Coast to satisfy Canada's trading needs well into the future. In 2008, then Minister Emerson commissioned a review of the Pacific Gateway. So he retained three renowned experts and they did a very detailed review. Amongst their many recommendations, and they recommended no further expansion of lower mainland container port infrastructure until Prince Rupert's port has been maximized. Prince Rupert opened their container port just a few years ago. and They currently can handle somewhere in the order of six to 700,000 containers per year, but they are in the first uh, and second phases of their expansion. We'll take that up to 2 million containers per year, and eventually they could go to as high as 5 million. If you factor that into the equation, then the West Coast has got plenty of container capacity to meet Canada's needs. So Rupert has got many advantages. 
Uh, they want the expansion, they need the jobs, and there should not be any more port infrastructure expansion in the Lower Mainland until Prince Rupert is maximized. Port Metro Vancouver is ignoring that. And what does your group find to be its most effective way of connecting with and communicating with the broader community? What we use most often are two vehicles, email and our website. Whenever we organize public meetings, then we get a good turnout, and that is a good way of, of talking to the community and ensuring that people's voices get heard. But on a regular basis, we're relying on uh, email and our website. Now, we have two local papers out here, local to uh, Delta, and we're fortunate in that we've got good points of contact with the reporters there. They do cover the story uh, very well, and they give us opportunity both to put letters in and writing articles. And uh, the Vancouver Sun uh, is good as well. So we've got a variety of means of communicating with the public. Sketch out for me some of the key actions that the group is going to be taking over, say, the next six months or so. Well, our immediate task is to get as many people as possible to write into the Canadian Environmental Assessment Office. I have to do this by October 15 and ask for a review panel. And so we're focusing on that. We're also ensuring that we get people out to each and every one of the meetings that Port Metro Vancouver is holding, because they're holding a total of about, I think, about eight meetings in all um, at various points in and around Vancouver. And judging by last night, um, and I was very pleased with the uh, turnout, we are indeed uh, getting the people out. Um, so we'll be doing that. Um, we are urging people to communicate with politicians at every level. Next year will be uh, municipal elections, so for mayor and councillor, and we're making sure that our concerns are known to them. Even though they have little or no legal authority, they certainly have the moral authority to speak up on behalf of Delta, so we're asking people to do that, talk to a federal MP, make uh, their views known there, and their views known to uh, provincial MLA. And we will be planning another public meeting probably early in the new year. And we're also looking at some direct action. And I won't say any more about that, and uh, we are certainly looking at it. You have been listening to my interview with Roger Emsley, who has talked about the work by the group Against Port Expansion to oppose efforts by Port Metro Vancouver to significantly expand their capacity in the community of Delta, British Columbia. To learn more about their work, visit their website at againstportexpansion.org. That's all one word, againstportexpansion.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.